Hey friends, before we dive into the episode, I've got something for healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals, if you're locuming or going to locum, navigating it through multiple agents and agencies can be stressful. Back and forth emails and timesheets aren't needed in this era. What if there was an app where you could see the shift, the total pay, the hours and request to book it there and then? Well there is. Locum's Nest connects healthcare professionals digitally to the NHS staff bank. The app connects already over 50,000 healthcare professionals to vacant work in over 50 NHS trusts and growing. Check it out yourself, that's Locum Nest. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrub Den Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us another incredible guest. We have with us Dr. Nikki, who is a wealth expert. She helps millennial and the Gen X learn more about money, feel good about it, how to make more, and all things to do with wealth. But the cool thing, she is also a clinician. Um, and we all know as professionals or healthcare clinicians, you know, you're, you, you're super smart, but when it comes to money, we've got to put our hands up is we're not the greats, we're not the best, but absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Nikki. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm really, really excited to be here. It's great. I, I like talking about, um, money from this context. Cause yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm one of those doctors that was rubbish with money. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> before we kind of go on to what you do now and kind of the amazing things you've done online and helped so many people. We want to take it back to the very beginning, um, a young Nikki, let's say, when you kind of wanted to embark on this journey in medicine and kind of bring us up to present day from with that story. Uh, yeah, okay. So I, I suppose I first started the journey of wanting to become a doctor at the age of around 16, something like that. I was, it was never on the radar for me. It was always... Being a teacher, I just wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to educate. And then a teacher at school said, no, 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 you're far too intelligent. You need to go and do something else. Like, and I thought that was quite, okay, that's quite insulting to teachers, but that she was taking at it from her own perspective. And she said, no, 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 I think you should become a doctor or something. And it was like, uh, oh, my teacher thinks I should become a doctor. It wasn't really my choice. I don't think it was really my choice. It was more of a, oh, my teacher thinks I could do it. Why not? I go for it. So I went down the usual path, did five years at med school from the age of 18, um, came out the other side um, doing obstetrics and gynecology after my foundation years, got to ST4 and I'd known for a couple of years that something wasn't quite right. I'd be okay, then I wouldn't be okay, then I'd be okay, then I wouldn't be okay. And I just burnt out. I just got to a major teaching hospital and just completely burnt out and um was given time out so I was allowed a I forget what they call them now is it UPs time out program they've got different different reasons for it mine was just oh, I need to get out of here <laughs> um so I took a year off and locumed for a bit and then I went traveling for five months and it was during that five months um that it kind of hit me about how life was for me and I was looking at changing career potentially or I'd, I'd been looking before I'd even left I was like right maybe I could become a lawyer or maybe I could do something else I was literally looking at everything around me other than what I was doing in front of me because I just was so burnt out from it so it was kind of like running away but it I got confronted with the idea of you have no money because <laughs> I was not earning any for five months. I literally was traveling around and my savings were just going down and down and down. And I was still paying bills. I was still, there were so many things that I was still doing 
to make sure that I kept a roof over my head at home and made sure I had my car when I got back and you know it, as well as doing the traveling bit and then that's when I realized that my credit cards were ridiculous <laughs> um I added it all up and was like oh my god this is like five figures worth of debt which was not even an addition to my student loan so that was a lot of money I mean it's even worse now for people with student loans but at the time it was still a lot of money for me and yeah it I just thought right when I get home I've got to do something about it I've got to change so I changed my career um, I decided to become a GP, but took a year before I became a GP because I'd missed the application window, so I had to wait another bit more time. So I did a, like some, kind of did like another F, F3, I guess, at that point, with like going around with the specialties and just testing them all out and going, yeah, definitely want to be a GP. Um, but I couldn't then see unsee the problems that patients and colleagues were having with money. So I obviously started working on my own money problems, my own mindset around money, and it was like, okay, well, patients suddenly are saying they can't take time off because they've got money problems or they're coming to me with money problems in A&E and it's, you know, they've, they've got really drunk or they've got, got themselves into depression, anxiety, trying to kill themselves. I, I, actually, I actually had a patient that tried to kill himself during my psych attachment because he was in debt. So money problems were just everywhere. Um, and then colleagues, you know, I heard about midwives and, and nurses using food banks what the hell is going on here like we're, we're supposed to have enough money here I know I know a lot of people argue and say no we don't get paid enough and I get it but when you look at the average over like the country we do earn well we have got a higher earning potential we've got we can you know do bank shifts if we want to but we still have problems with money and I think it's because we get so stressed out we're so busy we're so we're looking around at everything other than like the money side <laughs> we're just earning it we're like oh we can earn more it's fine we can just earn more keep working and then get burnt out because of that so yeah then I started blogging about my experiences because I could see that there was relevance and, and people needed help with this and because of my background in women's health it kind of made sense to help women with this because women's uh, money is a big topic there's there's a huge problem with with the wealth gap um and yeah, it went from there. Someone said, oh, well, now you're a GP. Why don't you become a money coach? You know, you could train and do that. So I trained to do money coaching. And mm. yeah, so kind of the rest is history, really. No. That's, that's where I am no. now. <laughs> that, that's incredible. As in, um, it's very few I find between where you see clinicians actively involved in money to the degree you are and helping other people. I myself, yeah. um, I'm not the best when it comes to money. One of the questions we wanted to ask was for young professionals, what seems to be the biggest problem when it comes to money? Is it the debt? Is it the credit cards? What What have you noticed from your experience so far? I I think it's a lot. A lot of it is around mindset. So when somebody's earning well and they know that they can earn well and they've got money coming in every single month, we can be kind of lulled into this false sense of security. So it's okay to put stuff on a credit card. It's okay to take out a loan for something because we can just earn it's like it's not the same as somebody that's not sure where their next paycheck is coming from when you're a professional and you've got money coming in all the time you you kind of just feel oh it's fine it's okay kind of ignoring the fact that if you lost your job you wouldn't be okay and a lot of people are in that situation they've got no savings or they've got like very minimal savings so they wouldn't be able to sustain them for longer than a month in fact that's that's you, you know a lot of people like that regardless of whether they earn a lot or not um, so I think for professionals, it's to do with that. It's the it's knowing that you've got money coming in so you don't have to worry about it. 
money kind of papers over the cracks a little bit. So if you mess up one month, it's okay because you know you've got more money coming in later on. It you know it's not much of a big deal. Like we're living potentially living paycheck to paycheck, but it's not as big of a struggle because we know we've got the money there. Um, and then I think part of that is then we put stuff on credit. We live a lifestyle that perhaps we can only sustain through using credit. And that gap between what we're earning and what we're spending becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we're no better off than somebody that's earning hardly anything. So it's that spending creep that happens with it as well. Yeah. A question uh, about money, actually, as professionals, as doctors, do you find that we run away from discussing money, talking about money, talking about spending, budgeting uh, and everything money do you feel like now that's starting to change actually with the gen z with what we're seeing on social media and in the news uh, what's happening there what do you feel has happened between 10 years ago and now yeah i think things are changing which is great you're seeing a lot more online of people actually being open about their finances um i think as doctors we well any healthcare professional we, we're trained to such a high level that to admit that we don't know something that's supposed to be easy, like I think that's really hard to do. Um, but we don't get taught it at school. Like how how are we supposed to know what to do with money? Unless you win the lottery of life and your parents teach you really good money management methods, you're going to get whatever your parents or whoever your caregiver was, their method of doing it. And then if you, you know, if you go to uni, like, with the loads of other medics who have got money. So that's the first time I experienced a situation where I didn't have as much as the next person because, you know, some people were being bailed out by their parents. They just had money being thrown at them. They, they came from a wealthy background. When you're trying to keep up with that, it's really, really difficult to do. So you don't want to, ex- you don't want to admit that you can't keep up with your friends because you're like, well, you know, if they can do it, I should be able to do it. And then, um, so yeah. a little bit of shame there. Yeah, I think <laughs> I definitely experienced that at medical school first when it's like, obviously we come from a certain background and the vast majority of medics at the time were like, you know, I think they said 70% of the, the year group was from private schools. And you have to understand you're competing with people that their parents were probably doctors, entrepreneurs or what may not. And you can't with the background you come from. So I think you are, you are right. <laughs> Trying to play, keeping up with them doesn't work. I thought a nice way to kind of, describe it and the importance is a lot of doctors have started work a lot of professionals are going to be working for the first time very soon i think what advice and it will be their first job for many yeah uh, what advice would you give to them so what good financial literacy is worth for them knowing just before that pay first paycheck hits um so they kind of move consciously forward yeah i, I mean God, I wish I had. Yeah, I wish I had as well. Seriously, oh my God. So the the first thing is to get interested in your pension because the NHS pension is really flipping difficult to understand. Even for like financial advisors, it's hard to understand. (laughs) So just getting some kind of understanding of the NHS pension, I think, would be really helpful. And there's loads of stuff out there that you can go follow. I mean, I've I've done something, um, uh, not recently, but I, I did a like a beginner's guide to the NHS pension, if you like. So there's some help out there. Definitely go and have a look into it. But what I would say is have a plan for the money that you've got coming in. So if you know that you've got X number of bills to pay and you also want to start some savings off, perhaps you want to buy your first property or whatever, plan it in, factor it in before you even that pay check even hits your account because then you know, right, 
that money's, you know, part of that's going to be for my savings. I'm going to have a part of that for fun. The rest of it goes on the bills. Every single pound has been given a job to okay. do. Because when you don't give a, everything a job, it just goes. That's how people go, well, I don't know how I've spent my money this month. Well, because you, you've unconsciously done it. If you consciously make a plan, mm. you know that you've covered all of your bases. Mm. And, you know, you can change it as the months go on. If one month it doesn't work, okay, maybe you didn't give yourself enough fun money that month or maybe you didn't save enough for whatever you've got coming up. But if you can try and get into the habit of putting aside, you know, some of your money for savings without touching it, that will really, really help you down the line. No, and I think you're right. I think when you allocate how much money needs to go into what pot or where, it does help and you don't end up spending yeah. it. Um, the, the question I had to follow on was, there's so much information online which at the same time is bad and confusing in a way, it's what percentage of the paycheck do you save? What do you keep for spending? And then this whole concept of investing. I feel like a lot more people and a lot more professionals are learning about the world of investing, stocks and shares, yeah. crypto. Um, what's, I don't know if there's a ballpark figure. What's The question is, what's a sensible way of going about it? Yeah, I mean... I was, I mean, when I first learned about money, there was this idea around you, you save and invest 10% of your, your income. But I think it's very different depending on where you live in the country. Mm-hmm. That only works if you're not in London <laughs> <laughs> or like anywhere else. But London is really difficult. So I would say look at your, look at what you're earning, look at your lifestyle, look at how you want to live your life as well. So if you know you want to take two holidays a year, well, you're going to just have to factor that into your budget. How much is that going to cost you if you want to go on two holidays a year? Mm. Try not to just spend and then save and invest whatever's left. Okay. Try and put a plan up front. So they, they call it pay yourself first, which I never understood because I was like, well, if I pay myself first and I've got bills to pay, then it means I'm not going to pay the bills. So what it doesn't mean that. It means you've paid all your essential stuff. You've paid your mortgage or your rent. You've paid your bills. But before you even start spending on discretionary things, mm you've given yourself some money back. So you've kept a bit of your wages for savings. And that might be 5%. It might be 2%. It just depends really on on how much you've got and what you're trying to save for and how long a time you've got to save for it. So if you've got 10 years to save for a house, you might only need to put aside 5%. Mm. If you want to get it in the next two years, you might have to save a huge amount. Like some people, you know, there was a medic that I met who her partner is what the money, the money they lived off of. And then all of her money was just thrown into savings. Mm. So they literally lived off of one person's income, which is amazing that they could do that. Not everyone can, but they could do it. And everything else, like £2,700 a month, whatever it was, was going towards their savings and investments. Mm. So it's based on your lifestyle. What do you want? If you can put at least £25 a month into investments, then that's the start of your investments. Mm. You can do that through lots of different places. In fact, some apps even let you do less, so you can just invest like pennies every single month Mm -hmm. if you want to. That's not really going to get you anywhere long term. That's a good starting point, but obviously ramping it up is better. So depending on how you want, on your goals, how quickly you want to get them and how you want to live your life, because there's no point throwing everything into savings and investments and then having nothing left to do anything with. Mm. Because that's only going to lead you to using credit cards. Yeah. So have a balance. On the front of balance, managing money, um, the wants, the savings, the investments, how do we also make sure that our quality of life doesn't spiral out of control? Because what happens is we, for the first time, we get the first paycheck, 
goes up in F2, goes up a little bit more, then you can bag, mm -hmm. then you can locum, and suddenly you get into the mentality of, oh, I'll just get this really expensive thing, I'll do two extra shifts. And then it's, yeah. oh, I'll get this really expensive pair of shoes or go on holiday and I'll do another 10 shifts. Because the way I look at it is, yes, you can earn that money, but what about, what about the, the effects on your mental health, the time, the, the fatigue that you'll yeah. feel as a, as a person? Um, how do you keep that in check? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really difficult one to do, especially as at the moment, there are, like we're being thrown money, aren't we? Like we're, there's shifts everywhere. You could do most levels, at, you know, most professions have got the ability to do that right mm. now. But you're right, your mental health can be affected by it. So one of the best pieces of advice I was given by a fellow medic actually in America, <laughs> he said, think about your lifestyle as if you are the year or two below. Mm. So when you're an F1 and you start getting paid, still live like a student mm. when you're in f2 f3 F or if you're going into a specialty training think like you're in foundation mm. and do it that way so it means that the gap is always maintained between what you're spending and what you're earning because unfortunately when we start going up into the lifestyle creep thing yeah. that's when we're, we're starting to run into that oh i'll just do an extra shift here or I'll just do an extra shift there if you can try and keep your lifestyle to like the year below you mm then you're you're always going to have some buffer hmm. i think i think that's a that's a, that's a good way of putting it actually and it makes sense um but yeah the lifestyle creep and it's the, it's the keyword is the creep it creeps up on you like you, creeps you, up on you it's yeah. not like you start earning money you want to buy this car you finance this and that it really does creep up on you um we want to kind of ask savings budgeting what tools hmm. are there or what aids can clinicians or healthcare professionals or individuals use because um, it does get tedious especially when you have a family you have dependents you have multiple outgoings and expenses what are resources and tools we can use yeah so i mean everyone's different mm -hmm. um, some people like using tech and other people just like using paper so i use a paper planner mm -hmm. i find it so much easier by hand i have a spreadsheet that i kind of use to work out the numbers so i've got i can play around with things if i want to but ultimately it's my planner that i use yeah. um there are loads of apps that you can try i mean there's apps like um you need a budget which helps it it's based in america but anyone can use mm -hmm. it it's just that if you're in the uk it doesn't tether with your own bank accounts whereas in america it does mm -hmm. so you need a budget helps you to plan ahead and even gets you to start um what they do what they call it they call it aging your money so when you get to the end of at the end of your budgeting if you've got some money left over you then start applying it to next month's budget mm. and then when you have money left over there you start applying it to the next month's budget so the idea is eventually you're using money that's been sat in your account for a month two months three months so you've got a buffer ahead of you so it means that when you get paid you're not immediately using that money which i think is a really clever concept so that's something you could try um i really like apps like um starling or monzo okay. so they're they are challenger banks they are legitimate challenger banks they're, they're not like just whims they've, yeah. they've got lots and lots of people that use them mm. and what they allow you to do is they allow you to create pots or spaces depending on which one you use so for example i've got my monzo account set up so when i get paid i have a separate natwest account where all my money goes into mm. and that's my bills and then I pay myself a little bit of money in my Monzo account and I use that for fun. Mm -hmm. So I'll put some of it aside for, I don't know, getting my nails done, for example, if that's what I want to do. Putting some set aside for my holidays. Um, I might put some aside for like petrol and travel and expenses like that. Mm -hmm. And then whatever's left is what I can spend on 
whatever I want, you know? So I've got that as a separate thing compared to my, my NatWest account. Some people are using that for their entire thing. So they've got one pot for their bills, one pot for their savings, one pot for their fund. Yeah. And that's what they do. And you just move the money between them. So you know, I've got £500 a month that's for my fund. And I can spend that however I like. Once the money's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Mm. So it's just another way of budgeting where you're splitting your money up. So they, you do like a little pot shuffle every month where you're literally just shuffling it into each of them. If you get paid weekly, you can do can kind of do it but it's a little bit more tricky so the way that i would do it for someone that, that earns weekly is try and um set up an account where all your money is going into and give yourself a little bit of a paycheck every month mm -hmm. so you're artificially doing it rather than spending all the money every week but you know everyone's different so they're like the the main apps that i would use for budgeting mm -hmm. and things otherwise you go back to a traditional spreadsheet um and do it that way but that is i find personally i find that really tedious no. that's that's not a fun way mm. of doing it. <laughs> it does really seem you need to kind of be a bit smart with it and kind of put those measures in place to protect yourself to a certain degree from overspending or yeah. kind of, it's essentially the way you're adopting, you go through special training and portfolio. You literally need to have the same mindset when it comes to money, right? That meticulous structured approach. So we get a few people that ask us, you know, they're just so heavily in debt that, that you know savings and buying a house is so far down the list that they're struggling right and it's debt they've picked up while at university bear in mind we're there for a minimum of five years going out accommodation yeah. what's the best way to do that for someone that's in a lot of debt and they're trying to kind of come out of it because i'm sure you know when you're in debt with a high pressure job like an f1 and f2 it is it does take a toll on your mindset and well-being yeah, it's it's horrible. <clears throat> I've been in I've been in this situation. I know what that feels like. So, with student loans, I know things are different than when I trained, and I know they're more expensive now. Mm. But look, if you look at someone like Martin Lewis on Money Saving Expert, <clears throat> he gives some advice on whether or not to pay off your student loans early, depending on how much you earn. So it's always worth having a look at his website for that information based on what um, type of student loan you've got. Mm. And that depends on when you graduate and all that kind of stuff. So have a look at the advice that's on that website about whether to pay it off early or not. So if student loans are on your mind, do that first. If you find out that actually it's not worth you paying them off early, just forget about it. Just It comes out your paycheck, just leave it. All the other debts, um, one of the, the systems that I use is the debt snowball system that I help people with. Okay. Um, it comes from America, and I forget the guy. Dave Ramsey is the guy that it comes from originally, and it's a psychological way of paying off debt. It's not the most money-savvy way of doing it, but it's psychologically better. Mm. So the idea is you list out all of your debts in order of smallest through to biggest, um, and that's in size order, not in interest order. Mm. And you literally pay off the first one as quickly as you possibly can. So any extra money that you have, you throw it at that first debt. You keep paying the minimums and all the rest of them. Mm. But if you have some extra extra cash, so that might mean you have to sell a few things or it might mean you, you, do, might, you might have to do an extra shift to do that. It's not everyone has the extra money to have it there. Mm. But just pay off that first one first. Once you've paid that first one off, you've then got the minimum of that first one plus any extra money you have mm. to go on the second biggest. You pay that one off. Then you have the two minimum payments plus any extra, and then you go to the third biggest. Then you've, you'd see why that's why it's called the snowball because yeah. all of your payments are snowballing up and up and up. And if you really wanted to, you can then use that final amount to go towards paying off your student loan. Mm. I'd probably pay, put that towards savings to. 
build your emergency fund or create a house deposit first mm. rather than anything else. Um, but that's that's kind of like a basic way of doing it. If you've got the ability to still pay your bills and still eat and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If you're at a situation where you can't afford even the basics because you've got so much debt, then you're going to have to go and speak to someone like Step Change. Okay. Go through their process of filling out their online questionnaire and and get the help. Literally get help quickly and then follow through on their advice. If they say take out an IBA, if they say do a, a debt relief plan or you know you have to go through bankruptcy, then you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it really quickly. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't affect us as doctors in terms of being able to get jobs and things like that. I mean, you might want to double check it with your, um, like someone like the BMA, for example, just to make sure. But when you're in that much level of debt, you can't think straight and you, you've got to think about your patients and your med, like the way you are presenting at, at work. So, you know, again, that, then that potentially comes down to a GMC thing. Yeah. So you have to, yeah. you have to think about these yeah. things so whatever you are just get help quickly no. as, as fast as you can definitely what do you what do you think about the situation now so talking about debt and the fact that so many junior doctors are in debt uh what do you think about yeah. the situation where a lot of uh, junior doctors have had to take out loans in their first um quarter actually because of the the f1 salary being not enough um to, to especially in london especially in london with the property prices with the rental prices yeah. what, what do you think of that it's sad isn't it really really sad um and it might be that you have to ask yourself some hard questions you know is is it worth you trying to rent something on your own or do you need to be looking at um you know still continuing on with the student lifestyle and having a sh- and house share mm. throughout those times is it cheaper to stay in the hospital accommodation? Not always. I know that can be expensive, but there might ha- you might have to make some decisions that that perhaps don't reflect how you feel as a doc, you know, as a newly qualified doctor. And I know I've been in that situation myself where you people think you've got money yeah. and you want to show that you've got money because you don't want to, you know, show otherwise yeah. and it gets you into trouble. You know, I my I remember one of my uncles saying to me, "Oh, Nikki could get this round. She she earns loads of money. Yeah. She's a doctor." <laughs> and it's like. I don't, but I kind of felt like I had to do it because that's what he said. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. They're all really proud. And, yeah. oh, yeah, I've got the money to do it going on my credit card. So, yeah, it's, it is sad if you have to take out a loan. If you literally have no choice, mm. then maybe it's a means to an end because not all debt is bad. Sometimes you do have to take out loans and, and things in order to sustain yourself. But if that's causing you to get into problems, maybe you need to think of a plan B. No, absolutely. definitely. The the following question I had was, and I think this relates to more senior clinicians rather than juniors, is the concept of financial advisors, people that help mm. you grow your money, kind of that category of individuals. Um, junior doctors don't really get approached, but it's the senior clinicians that we've noticed or, you know, people that run their own practice, <laughs> private practice. What are your thoughts on the financial services or these financial advisors that maybe target or focus on doctors? Is it a good thing? Is it something that needs to be entertained? What's the best way to go about it? Yeah, it's. I don't have a problem with financial advisors at all. I think actually, if you get a really good independent financial advisor that is minimal fees and ex- and takes the time to explain what they're doing with your money, I think they are worth their weight in gold because they can really help. However, not all financial advisors are created equal. So some will charge huge amounts of money for doing not very much 
and will give you literally this much choice, like tiny amount of choice in terms of what you can invest in because they, you know, they are limited by the company that they work for. So that's why you want an independent one because the independent ones can then go to lots of different options and choose for you. Now, we're intelligent people. We can learn how to invest. You don't need to go through a financial advisor to learn how to invest, particularly at the early stages. There are apps like Plum, Moneybox. Um, you've got Vanguard, Hargoose Lansdowne. There are lots of things out there that people can use in order to start learning how to invest themselves. And I, you know that's one of the big things I help people to do. Beyond that, when you're starting to look at, okay, how do I best make use of my pension? How do I gain access to retire early? Um, I, I've just come into some money or I've just inherited a house. What do I do with it to protect it so that my kids can inherit it? You know, that's where a financial advisor comes into really good use because then they can go, right, what's your plan? Well, you want to retire at 55, 60, whatever the age is. Let's make sure that you've got enough money to do that. And then they'll help you with it. So it, I think there's there's nothing wrong with it. I just think you have to be really careful about who it is that's targeting you. And they are targeting you because you have a lot of money and you are more likely to be to be so busy that yeah. you want some you're just gonna say, Oh fine, you do it for me. Yeah. But actually you want someone that's gonna explain, well, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? How much are they costing you to do that and what options are they giving you? No, definitely. Because I do have the fear of, you know, like you said, it's more situations where you are a busy professional, you come into money and you're super clueless, but you've always heard you should invest, you should do this and you should set yourself yeah. up. And then they seem to be the vulnerable individuals that get targeted. But I do agree, it seems to be a case by case situation and you need to be very mindful in terms of um, how you approach it. We, um, When it comes to advice as kind of students, so moving away from professionals, so when you don't have a paycheck, uh, you've got a big tuition fee loan, which you, you probably don't need to pay until you graduate and maintenance loans and accommodation. What's good practices you can do as a student when it comes to money? Yeah, it's, I mean, as a student, it's it's hard. I mean, I think I, I lived off of £7,000 a year. Yeah, I and think that was when yeah. I was at, that was in London. which <laughs> <laughs> was just, I don't even know how that happened. It, it didn't, I got into debt. So um, I, I would say it's about the budgeting getting really clear on your budget and knowing exactly what you've got going in and going out um, and not being afraid to say no. Okay. You know, that's a really hard thing to do as a student because you want to take part in absolutely everything. But I think we have to normalize staying at home, Yeah. cooking with each other at home, like not necessarily going out all the time because that's where you spend a lot of money, particularly if you live in places like London. Um, and, there are loads of things out there to help students with saving money. So get all the discounts, go on all of the loyalty schemes. There are loads of them out there. Um, and then maybe look at earning some extra money. So taking on a side job, which I know is difficult as a medic because you're working and you're trying to study. It's really hard. But you can sometimes get like Saturday job, Sunday job, um, I used to do like six hours on a Sunday working for spec savers of all people. Um, so, I, you know, I I did a bit of extra along the way to try and keep some money coming in, but it, it is hard. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Like being a student with minimal money coming in is really difficult. No. Do Do you feel that having a job whilst a student teaches you a lot for when you're working full time? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, um, I learned a lot about things like customer service and 
answering the phone and you know yeah. directing people and organizing a calendar and so I learned a lot through that and I also had a job working for Holland Barrett at one point so mm. I learned a lot about complementary therapies and as a medic that was actually really useful because then when a patient comes in and says oh I've tried x whatever it is yeah I've kind of got some understanding of it I mean my knowledge is terrible now but at the time I kind of had a bit of an understanding but yeah it does it does teach you a lot about what to expect and and you kind of get used to the idea of okay well, I'm working on a Sunday because mm. as a medic you're gonna have to do that yeah, yeah. You know? it's, it's just one of those mm. things absolutely a slightly more personal question is mm. you're online you're giving out all of this advice and it's to do with yeah. money which is super sensitive it's super important how do you feel let's say someone takes your advice or they do something in the wrong way like they, they start investing all their savings into a fund or something which yeah. they may have taken out of context from content you've put out have you yeah. had any sort of kickback or you know angry dm saying nikki i listen to you and i've lost all my life savings i lost my house or th- that fear because when you are online you are exposed you are vulnerable and when it comes to money yeah. it's even more exposed so what's your mindset around that is it something you've experienced you know, it's quite interesting to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I have worried about in the, in the past. Um, I mean, touch wood, <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. Mm. I try to be as clear and as transparent with everything that I'm saying and, and not being very absolute with things and saying, right, you must put your money here and you must put your money there because it wouldn't, wouldn't be allowed to do that anyway. Um, but that's what you have things like business insurance for. You know, I've got, I've got that as part of my business. Okay. Yeah. Um, so maybe one day it will happen. I, I don't know. But the problem is, is it can happen with anything we do, mm, can't it? Yep. You know, so you just have to, I'll just have to cross that bridge if it happens <laughs> yeah. and just pray it doesn't. No, I know, of course. <laughs> I hope it never happens. But we are mindful because we are content creators, as are you online. And it's yeah. a whole different world, right? And not everyone is yeah. all nice. And it's all well and good until something goes wrong um yeah but no of course you, you mentioned business and we want to kind of talk a bit about that um tell us what you do as a business how it is running a business because not only did they not teach you how to look after money at medical school or university or school even what's it like running a business because a lot of medics mm-hmm. are leaning towards it and the question is oh yeah you know i'd love to have a business and it's all fun and games i'm sure there's a lot of hard work to it but tell us your experience as a clinician turning entrepreneur yeah it's completely different <laughs> so when you're earning a salary you just turn up you do your job and you and your salary that's it mm. whereas if you look at the nhs as a whole they've got marketing teams they've got legal teams they've got pr they've got payroll they've got accountants they you name it they have got people working for them admin staff whatever so you turning up to your hospital or your gp practice mm is only a tiny bit of like this huge machine. Mm. So when you start learning how to build a business for yourself, you realize that you are the only person that's doing everything. You are accounting, marketing, PR, customer service, you know, as well as doing the delivery of whatever it is you want to do. So I started out probably doing all the wrong things, trying to do everything all at the same time. And I still, to a certain extent, can do that. I think that's just being a doctor. Or we've got these personalities, haven't we, where we just want to do everything. Yeah, I think we can yeah. do everything. Um, I've started to learn now that that's not a sensible way of running a business. And actually, the best thing to do is, is just try and solve one thing first. Learn how to do it well and then move on to the next mm-hmm. thing. 
And if that is having a podcast or having a YouTube channel, it's like doing that one thing well, because I try to do so many different things all at the same time that I don't think I've done anything particularly well. I think everything's just there. Mm. And I'm now having to go back and fixing things like my website, for example, to make it more user friendly, mm. to make it make it make sense mm. and get rid of some of the stuff that doesn't. Um, so it's yeah it's learning all the different roles and not expecting that you're going to get it right first time either like you probably won't i've tried a couple of different things before i started the money side of things mm. and none of those particularly stuck okay. because i re- i ran into problems really early on and i didn't like it enough to to go over those problems so you know when you're onto something when you're willing to put the hours in and even if you don't see a return to start off with you're still doing it because no. you're still passionate about it yeah. you still want to keep going still want to keep going and you learn something else and put that in place and then suddenly you start to see a result or people start to respond or you get a newspaper reach out to you or you know that then little things start to happen and you start to see actually this is starting to work now Mm. but it takes time it's not going to work in the first six months like these stories of people that say oh i earned millions in my first year (laughs) it doesn't happen It, it might have happened for that one person but it's because the 10 years before they were toiling away yeah doing something no and actually, it just so happened that that one year, everything came together and then they earned their first million pounds. No, definitely. They've been working for 10 years before. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think uh, you probably understand as well, it's a lot of clinicians, they have such incredible skill set. They want to do it all. They're super good in you know learning about this and learning how to do this. And when it comes to business, they're all kind of waiting for that overnight success. You know, they'll see yes. someone like yourself on Instagram and be like, oh, you know what, Nick is doing well, this doing well. I want to start launching my own business and realize there's more to it. And it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's quite interesting. How is your week split? Are you still working as a GP and yeah. on the wealth side or is it split and split? Or... Yeah, so I, the way that I run my business now is I want to do more group work. Mm-hmm. So I'm building up my groups, which takes time. Of course. So I still have to work as a GP in order to make my bills and all that kind of stuff. So what I do at the moment is... I work for an online GP service. Mm. So I do a lot of online work, which is amazing. Mm. I have to do a couple of out of hours type stuff in order to keep my license. But most of my work is now online, which means that I can literally close my laptop in the morning and then I've got the rest of the afternoon to sit and focus on marketing or sit and focus on customers or whatever I need to do. So I've kind of designed it in a way that kind of fits with a lifestyle that I want to have. Mm. I think that's really important. I couldn't have done that as an obstetrician doctor it wouldn't have worked and i always knew i wanted to do something outside of medicine it was just i just didn't know what it was going to look like so gp for me has offered me that that extra flexibility to be able to do other things outside of it so i've kind of roughly it was about 50 50 you know i'm hoping to do more and more of the business as it goes forward Mm. but um for now, it's about 50-50. Just to take it back uh, for a moment now, when you were in OBS and Gynae training, right, what did burnout exactly feel like? And I know you're doing all these different things, but it's a lot still. The business demands a lot from you. Why does, yeah. why does, why did burnout happen before whilst now you're doing so much more probably, but you don't feel burnt out? What's the difference? How did you feel before? How do you feel now? Yeah, it's really it's a really good question. Um, I think when you're doing something that you don't feel passion for, mm. um, I think that makes it hard. When you're passionate about something, mm. 
you can work really hard at it and you can burn the candle and you still don't feel like you've you've done a day's work because you're so passionate about what you're doing i get to be a lot more creative now like i'm using different different skills and i've learned different skills when i was doing obstetrics and gynecology i had the and i enjoyed the work i enjoyed looking after the women and delivering the babies and that that was great but it was the politics it was that as the more senior i got the more i was getting involved in admin mm. and you know oh you've got to answer this complaint or you come along to this meeting and see how it's run and that's the point where i went no i don't want to do yeah. this anymore so it was taking me away from medicine mm. which is the bit i actually enjoyed so the nice thing about the gp service i work for now is i get to do the medicine and i don't have to do the admin yeah, yeah. and i don't have to do the politics and i don't have to be involved in you know, transformation and all this stupid stuff that keeps happening every couple of years where they completely change the service all over again. Yeah. I can just turn up, I serve the patient, I do what is needed for them, and then I go home. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. That's literally my role. And I really enjoy it. Exactly. That's- I think that's why why everyone became a doctor, right? The, the doctors out yeah. there, they actually do love their job. They actually love serving the patient. But it's once yes. we're trying to turn all the other cogwheels of the system, right? The admin, the complaints, the Q- QIPs that we're not, we didn't really go into uh, the healthcare system to do that. Um, and I think that's a factor why a lot of people are getting driven away from the specialties, the hospital side of things, actually, whilst the general practice side of things seems to be a little bit more open, flexible and gives you that freedom. Would you agree with that, with how it's all gone for you now? Um, yes and no. So you still have, if you were a, a partner or if you're a salaried GP, you are still going to be responsible for the the politics side of the practice. So partners obviously more so because it's their business, but you're still going to have to, you know, there's going to be a leader in safeguarding. There's going to be a lead role in looking after the IT and all the data security. So any guideline that needs to be written or reviewed goes through you. <laughs> and, you know, you've got to train medical students if you're if you're becoming a trainer, or you've got to train other GPs if you're going to do that. There's still the admin to look after from all the blood tests and all those results and things that come through. So a lot of GPs, I think, are being driven away because of all of that stuff, not the patient bit. It's the same. So it's the same with hospital. It's just that it's a different level different type of stress i guess with gp it's it's kind of it's similar but not similar i don't know how to explain it but there's still that there's, there's still all that other stuff that we didn't go into medicine for like we didn't go into medicine to become managers did we? we didn't learn how to become managers until like you're close to cct when they then suddenly realize oh perhaps you should have a bit of leadership skill mm, yeah training. and i think that it's a whole different thing and i think <laughs> the difficulty is it seems that <clears throat> A lot of doctors that are very good clinically and really good doctors, they sometimes fall short because they don't have those manager experience or leadership experience. And you didn't really need it. You didn't think you would need that stuff when you are training to be a doctor. And then lo and behold, as soon as you graduate, you realize that sometimes those skills are super important. And you, had, you don't have, not everyone wants to be a leader. Not everyone wants to be a manager. Not everyone wants to have loads of people working underneath them, right? You want to be a doctor to help yeah. people. And then you realize for some weird reason, those individuals are being rewarded and the career progression is better for them. And then you do get burnt out. You're doing stuff you don't necessarily enjoy. So it's incredible and it's nice to hear that despite getting into specialty training, you did make the plunge and change careers because 
a lot of people do think, oh, do you know what? By that time, you spent many years being a doctor, many years post-graduating and think, do you know what? I'm just going to go through it because it's wasted time and effort and end up hating their day job on a day-to-day basis. So it's yeah. commendable that you, despite being a reg, you, you left. Yeah, it's it's a hard choice to make. Of course, And I think yeah. it's even harder the closer and closer you get to CCT. I mean, I was told, I was advised by one GP, oh, finish your CCT first and then do GP training. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm not waiting that long. Yeah. It's not happening. Um, but I've got friends that have dropped out of like pediatric training, for example, mm. to do their own pediatric training because mm. they wanted to become pediatric cardiologists specializing in ultrasound. Mm. So they've done it separately because the training program wasn't allowing them to take the time out to learn how to do ultrasound. So actually... The training program sometimes is not one fit purpose for everybody. Sometimes you do have to take these weird paths and routes uh, yeah. to do other stuff. I, I'm glad you highlighted that, Nikki. And we had a guest, I think a few weeks ago, who's a radiologist, but did less than four time training to kind of pursue other educational stuff at university. And it seems mm. maybe the middle ground is these personalized or tailored careers, which is yeah. doable. I just think it's not. I don't, I don't want to say advertise or made open widely. It's like these are the paths you can take because we're medics and we know you have to do this. These are the hoops you have to jump from SD1, SD67, consultancy. But I feel the trend is going towards more personalized careers within medicine. And I think that yeah. will hopefully pick up the morale of the, the NHS, which I'm sure, you know, we don't need to go into now, but it's kind of yeah, similar. But it, 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 should, it should 100% be more flexible because when, you know, we're being made to move from, year to year some in some instances six months to six months you're having to move location yeah. that's not good it's fine when you first come out of medical school it's a bit exciting oh where am i going to go next it's great but when you're starting to settle down you're married you've got kids or you know you've got elderly relatives or whatever you just don't want to move around you don't have to have all these things you might just not want to move yeah. having to do that on top of no you can't have time off for that really important wedding that you need to yeah. go to or no you can't take time out to you know, have a bit of burnout free time. You know, like, that's what I was told. I was like, well, you know, I don't really want you to take time out, but if you have to take a year, so then we can slot you back into yes. the process more easily. Mm. You just took two mm. months or three months or something. No. So yeah, I agree. More flexible working is is definitely needed to help keep people interested, engaged, and in in the job. No, definitely, absolutely. Um, absolutely. We just want to thank you, Nikki, for taking the time out to have. A chat with us it was quite interesting we talked about a lot of things and it helps when it's mm. from a fellow colleague fellow clinician because there are a mm. unique set of problems that we as clinicians face that other professionals yeah. may not face or as females and women um so it is nice because there's an element of trust and it's like you know you know what you're talking about you know the difficulties medics face junior doctors face specialty mm. trainees face so that is a bit reassuring um but thank you so much for taking the time out I know you've got incredible resources online, so we're going to link it all in the show notes and the description. Um, and I think anyone that is listening that is interested to in learning more <coughs> about finance, and I do think it's super, super important, do reach out to Nikki um, yeah. and get it sorted before it's too late, I think, is the, is, is the yeah, key yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, no, there's no, um, no such thing as a late time. Mm-hmm. I think everyone, even if you're like well advanced in your career, can still, you can still do something. True. Um, it's just easier to do it when you first start earning money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that's the lesson in all of this. But no, thank you, yeah. uh, um, Nikki. Thank you so much, Nikki. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers.